0: And Sebastian's like, uh, no. And then, so Scull- Scully?
1: Scully? Sully. So- <laughs> Master Asshole. Scully.
0: Whatever the heck his name is.
1: I'm gonna start the episode by doing something that I don't think I've ever had to do. Um, uh, don't cancel us. No, I'm gonna okay. put a disclaimer okay. at the beginning of this episode. Um, I'm gonna ask for our listeners' cooperation and tolerance. Uh, if you know this today's book uh, touches upon a very sensitive subject uh, matter. For the sake of being as clear as possible, um, we want to warn you that the hero here does rape the heroine and then still becomes the romantic hero later on in the story. Um, so if that sounds like something that is upsetting to you or would make you angry and you do not have any sort of uh, tolerance for that and you do not want to listen to a conversation about it, uh, Seth and I are going to try and have like a nuanced uh, conversation about it because we still think it's an interesting book to discuss. Uh, But if that's, like, a hard limit for you, then we're going to ask you to take a step back and not listen to this episode, please, and thank you. Today's book is called To Have and to Hold by Patricia Gaffney. Uh, If I remember correctly, this is a 1994 release.
0: All right, it released 1995. August of 1995.
1: If you've been around for a minute and have been reading romance for a minute, uh, you know it's always a little... Risky to go back and reread or read <laughs> uh, older romances. This is not by any means or stretch of the imagination the oldest one.
0: <laughs> nope.
1: Um, but, you know, it does uh, contain elements that you would not find in a romance nowadays, Seth.
0: All right, what is this book about? We meet uh, Sebastian Verlaine, who is a member of the ton, and he never really expects to become a magistrate uh, judging crimes of just people and like tenants that live in his area. Um, and he attends a hearing um, of this woman. Uh, she's known as like a fallen woman. Her name is Rachel Wade. Um, and she's been in prison for ten years and she just got released um, and she's back. You know facing trial because she is caught without money and she's living in a barn and apparently that's illegal at that time to not have a home and just be living on the streets anyways so Sebastian right off the bat is intrigued by her and is kind of curious about her situation and so he decides to take it upon himself to kind of vouch for her and offer her a place to stay and work as his housekeeper and for her it's either prison or working for Sebastian and so she chooses to work for Sebastian and starts her new life in a job where she feels zero confidence in and she literally just came out of prison and she's expected to be a housekeeper to like this grand house um anything like she just has no confidence whatsoever and she starts to uh You know, get into her role and then she's also expected to kind of I don't even know where to go from this. Anyways, she basically is given a second chance at life, but like she kind of is faced with Sebastian, who kind of feels owed. You know, he feels owed. He's very predatory.
1: Yeah. In the earlier parts of this book.
0: Yeah. And uh, he believes that because he freed her, he also has rights to her body. He
1: did not do it uh, out of the kindness of his heart. No. He was uh, just very, very turned on by the idea of having power over someone who is utterly powerless. Yes.
0: Okay, that, that being said, the story goes from there and they start to kind of find themselves on a on a playing field where emotions are involved and maybe, you know, things happen between them and it's more so her trying to find herself again and him allowing her to find herself and also make amends.
1: The way that I found this book was through Instagram. Someone posted, and I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was, but uh, someone posted, like, antiheroes, Books with okay. anti-heroes or like, uh, you know, just ambiguous kind of characters. And this book was on the list and I thought, oh, OK, I'll check it out. And I read the blurb and I was like, OK, sounds interesting. Well, actually, it was already on my TBR, as every book is. But, you know, it's always a, a, a good thing to have a refresher and be like, oh, yeah, OK, that book. And then I went and I read a couple reviews. Um you can imagine that this is a very uh divisive book. Um yeah. You know, there are people who read it and find worth in the complexity of the story at play, and then there are people who read it and if they just absolutely cannot look past certain things, rightfully so. Yeah. Um and they don't like the book as a result, which is totally fine. Um, but that makes me intrigued. You know, when I see a book like that, that gets very um, opposite, you, you know, kinds of reviews.
0: Yeah, they're polar opposites. For yeah, sure.
1: I'm intrigued. And one reviewer in particular, um, in her review, and this was a reviewer who really liked the book, she described this book as... Saying, well, she was saying essentially that for her, how she sees it is up until the turning point, which we can discuss later on for Sebastian, mm-hmm. he is not a romantic hero, nor is, no. he per- nor is he portrayed as such. And then after that turning point is where he actually becomes the romantic hero of the book. And I kind of agree with that, but uh, we can we can talk about that later I agree on. with that as well. Um, as for what I thought of this book, I actually really, really enjoyed this book. Um, it surprised me how much I enjoyed it. And I think most of all, the reason why I enjoyed it so much is because of how complex it is, how intricate it is, how deep it is in the characters' journeys, emotional, psychological journeys. Yes, it it does touch upon really dark subjects, meaning, like, the heroine literally gets raped by her future love interest, but the author did certain things in subtle ways, or not, actually, I shouldn't say subtle ways, not subtle ways at all, like, I, I really appreciated how the book, at no point, and Sebastian for that matter, lets you forget what he did. Yeah, And I think that that's an important part of the story for me. Um, and what really took this book and and made me like it, because it could have easily gone into the section, I don't know, kind of iffy, don't know if I can, you know find anything in this type of thing which um sorry I'm I'm going on and on and on but um earlier this year I read The Flame and the Flower by uh Kathleen Woodowice I think her name is that was like on my uh reading bucket list just because like I believe it's kind of one of the first romance novels ever written and um if you know anything about this book that book uh the hero also rapes the heroine in that book um And for me, that book was a complete miss. Like, I do not see what other people see in that book at all. Um, And after reading this book, I think the difference was made very apparent to me. And it's that the novel doesn't let you forget that he did what he did. And he actually regrets it. Whereas the hero in The Flame and the Flower is just like, it's brushed over it's like totally expected of him kind of like you know the girl she just accepts that and like it's it's never really revisited in any way shape or form he doesn't care he acts like it never freaking happened and to me that's like the no-no um so i hope we can get into like the, uh, journeys for both of our characters, because I think that that's where, uh, this book shines. Yeah. What about you, Saf?
0: Well, I feel like you basically said a lot of, uh, you know, important points I wanted to hit, um, which is great. Um, like, like you, I, I appreciated this book and I appreciated what it was trying to convey in terms of like the messages and also like the characters' journeys, both characters. Um, And I totally agree with that point that you just made about the other reviewer, the other person that read the book. And, um, yeah, I never saw him as romantic interest at the beginning of the story. I saw the beginning of the story more of her, like, acclimating to her new situation and, like, kind of her start to her journey. And, like, I, I don't know. I really, I found the story to be intriguing and I did enjoy... A lot of it. I think the story is important to talk about, and I feel like I think we can maybe touch upon certain points, obviously, that are a no-no. But like you, I did read other books from the 80s and the 90s where like rape very much happened between the, the heroine and the hero, and it wasn't really discussed or touched upon in the way that this book really kind of went in deep in that situation and like talked about the rights and the wrongs and the hero actually recognizing that it was wrong, of course, I read books like in the nineties and like the eighties where like the heroine recognizing it was rape, but like the hero never did, but exactly, in this case it was yeah. yeah, in this case, it was more so like, yeah, him recognizing and growing from that, and I thought that was really important to see, um and also her journey was really, really, really uh just like so Emotional. notable and just so well done,
1: yeah,
0: um but yeah.
1: I was thinking about this book and I was thinking like, how can I recontextualize this book so that it makes sense to me Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in the sense that like, how can I, what, how can I configure how to view this book in my own brain so that I can, I'm allowed to see worth in it, if that makes sense. And that's kind of messed up that like you have to figure out ways to, to make it worth, you know, you talking about it or you liking it just because it touches upon very taboo subjects. But that's kind of just the life of a romance reader, especially, but probably, you know, any reader. Like whenever yeah. there's taboo subjects like that, you kind of automatically feel, feel like you can't like certain things. Or that you, or should you can say vocalize you, your yeah. life about
0: certain aspects. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so thinking about it, I was like... This book came out in 95, which I would say is when there was probably a shift happening within the romance genre itself Mm -hmm. Uh, from the old kind of romance to more what we know today. Um, You know, the tropes were being twisted and, you know, sort of changed to better fit the world that we live in the um, values that we have, that we, you know, fight for. And so to me, I like to see Sebastian's journey as kind of uh, an embodiment of of that switch, you know? In the very beginning part of the book, he's very much the old school romance hero. Unapologetic, uh, kind of cruel in some ways, Mm -hmm. dark.
0: And really perverse. Like, his character, oh, like, the yeah. pleasure, he literally got hard from seeing her in, like, a position of, like, you know, need. Powerlessness. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, he's predatory. He rapes her, which was absolutely typical of heroes at that, you know, well, yes. before this this time. And then in the second half, he very much becomes what we now expect of romance heroes.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't just a switch, like it wasn't just a flip to it for it no, not to yeah. be believable. It was like a, a growth, and yeah, no, I agree with that statement.
1: Well, it is, but at the same time, it is kind of a, a quick switch, just in that turning point for him, that turning scene, because and, and that makes sense to me, I don't think that that devalues the, no. the switch for him, because there are instances in your life where you actually go through something that's, truly traumatic or really shows you something that you had been blinding yourself to like you know that you've been like uh, trying to avoid thinking about and then suddenly it's blasted in front of you and you kind of can't avoid it anymore and that's a switch for you you know so it doesn't matter to me if, if it is, you know, more of a quick switch. But, you know, the, the work doesn't end there. And that's the important part. You know, there's realizing and then there's working towards becoming a better person afterwards. You know, the realization yeah. is not the end of it.
0: No.
1: Um, so, yeah, I like to I like to think of his his character arc in that way of, of really seeing on page the switch from old romance, old school romance heroes to nowadays romantic yeah heroes. no
0: that's a cool take I didn't really think about that but all right so where should we start let's start at the beginning I would say let's talk about Rachel and where we yeah. find her
1: yeah so this book actually has a lot of interesting important conversations I feel like and a lot of them revolve around Rachel her no. life what she went through Um, So, as you said, Rachel was a convict. She went to prison for 10 years for a crime that she did not commit. Um, But, you know, nobody cares about that Um, because she is a woman and she supposedly killed her husband and, you know, that's that. She has to pay the price. The way she's written in that first half of the book is so amazingly well done like yeah the little details in how she perceives herself now that she's out of prison and I'm gonna warn you right away dear listener um I'm gonna pull out a lot of quotes today (laughs) so you're gonna have to bear with my reading which is not the best um I will admit um, but I do feel like it's important just because it is, you know, a touchier subject. I kind of just want to pull quotes so that you can hear what the quotes are and kind of hopefully think about them and, like, think about what you think they might mean to you. Um, and Seth and I can discuss what we think those might mean to us. First thing that I noticed in in her experience as someone who you know, had just come out of prison after 10 years, um, she finds pleasure in control. Mm -hmm. And even if it's, like, little, tiny, insignificant things that she gets to choose for herself, she's, like, so amazed at the fact that she finally gets to make those little choices. Mm -hmm. And that kills me it kills me because all her rights have been stripped for 10 years.
0: Yeah. She couldn't she has no, choose anything. Like, autonomy. Exactly. For 10 years she was just a number. So she
1: says the little thrill in her chest at this elementary but powerful act controlling light and darkness in her own room would probably fade soon like her awareness that the bed was too soft how quickly one could adjust to the unspeakable luxuries of freedom. Like, isn't that insane? Like, just yeah. the, the fact that she's able to control something as small as the lights in her own room gives her a sense of
0: power. No, it's, it's insane. And, like, I honestly feel like the way that she's written is so interesting to me because of, like, where we started. And, like, of course, when we first meet her, it's in Sebastian's perspective. And, like, we see her... And he believes her to be like an old woman. Yeah. You know, she just looks haggard and like her ancient. hair is
1: graying. Yeah, of the stress that she's been under.
0: Yeah, and like he just describes her as like an older woman. And he's like, but I'm still intrigued. But like the fact that we find out later on that she's actually pretty young. She was only 28. Right. She got conv- like sorry charged with murdering her husband at 18. Like she was such a- she was a child.
1: Well, she married him. She was 16, right?
0: No, No, wait, no, she was married to him for a week. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so she was 18. Um, Yeah, so just, like, the fact that, like, just her appearance has also, like, been brought down to, like, you know. She's
1: literally skin and bones. Like, she literally cannot make it from her room to the dinner table that first night without fainting. It's horrifying.
0: I know. So, yeah, just even her physical description at the beginning was just... It intrigued me and I also was like what the heck like how like what's going on here and then like as you slowly get to be in her perspective and like you said see her change and like see her just like having small like the smallest control ever um was monumental and it's like it just keeps growing from there in her character
1: yeah and then the flip side to that is because she's never or hasn't been able to make little choices like that for herself in 10 years she also gets a lot of anxiety out of yeah. having to make choices. Um, she says, because she oh,
0: does. Sorry. Oh, sorry. You have a quote.
1: She, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm warning <laughs> you guys. A lot of quotes incoming. Um, she says the simplest choices could still freeze her in place, petrify her with fear of the potentially drastic ramifications of every innocent act.
0: No. And like also, if you think about it, kind of her life became all about choices. She became a housekeeper and she is the person that's supposed to be making all these big choices for the whole house. And going from no choice whatsoever, not no ability on like making choices to like now making choices for a whole estate is insane.
1: And the other thing that really not shocked me, but really made me feel for her, uh, is when she's looking at her family photo of her Mm -hmm. and her family and she literally has to cover her own face because it makes her feel distressed i still think it's very telling of the intelligence behind this book that like little details like that are taken into account because when you have gone through something traumatic and in this case something traumatic that lasts an incredibly long time you can sometimes feel very disconnected from the person you were before and the person you are now mm-hmm. to the point where you do not even recognize yourself I think later on she even says like she thinks back to that girl and she thinks of that girl that she was as a stranger yeah. it's no longer her that past life no longer belongs to her it was taken away when her freedoms were taken away. Exactly. Um, and she covers her face. Because she wants to look at her family members. And remember them you know, lovingly and fondly. But she can't bring herself to see what happened to her. To be confronted with the changes in herself.
0: It was done in a way where like, it's not told to you. It's more so like you kind of pick up on it. And for for Rachel it's just like it's heartbreaking that the girl she was 18 like at 18 is not the girl she is now and like you said it was taken away from her but not only that it's just like her f- like family support was taken away from her her yeah. own like brother didn't even support her and like her she, brother her parents, left they yeah he left he moved to Canada and her parents it was too hard kind of they believed she was guilty they believed she killed her husband and it's just no I was just gonna say and like just that idea of her not having anyone It's just, like, heartbreaking, and she kind of finds solace in just, like, a piece of paper, like, a picture. Um, And, like, even, like, down to, like, having friends, she didn't really have any friends. Well, she did, Lydia, until she finally found, like, actual substantial bonds with the pastor's wife. (laughs) But at the same time... Again,
1: I like the complexity of her own relationship to her family, especially once she's in prison and they come to visit her that first time. And she explains Mm -hmm. how she was essentially put in a box. cage on the ground. Yeah, Yeah. and they were put in a cage as well. And they were looking at her like that. And they had to submit to a very intrusive, um, you know, uh, body search, which she was... uh, Subjected to monthly. um, And it was hard for them. And it must be very hard to have to go through that. And then only to sit in front of your loved one. Her parents, I don't think they were, you know, particularly close to her. But they were also not bad parents. I think they cared at the very least about their child. Yeah. It must be so, so hard to... Do all that, and then what you get as a visual of this person that you care about is them in the cage looking haggard, like you said, and probably traumatized. Hair
0: shaved off at that point, probably wearing like a stained shift. Her
1: femininity completely ripped away from her. Yeah, her um, uh, agency ripped away from her, and that also has repercussions on. You know, because I said how she covers her face in the pictures, but even her own body, the way that she talks about her body is as something distant from her as well. She says that her body is cheap, that it's separate from her, that it doesn't matter to her. And that plays into the rape itself. You know, I think Sebastian, um, he's angry at her lack of response her lack of anger her lack of emotion when it comes to what the hell happened to her yeah and he doesn't understand that and for her when it happens she's thinking well He's using my body. That's nothing that hasn't been done. My body hasn't been mine in 10 years and a week. Because God knows that fucking husband took a lot of things from her as well. Emotionally, spiritually, etc. Physically. It's almost like she's looking at what's happening to her from a distance.
0: I totally agree with that.
1: It's so interesting.
0: It is very interesting. And the way it's done is interesting. And like you said, it's... Sebastian is angry about it. And also, he's angry at the fact that she's unwilling to share her past with him at the beginning of the story. Um, And he just finds out little tidbits. And, like, he kind of wants to, like, have that control again and, like, understand what's going on. And it's just, I don't know. I just feel like it was just an interesting start to their journey together. Yeah.
1: She's very much a shell. Yeah, at that point. She talks also another quote. She talks about <laughs> anger, you know, cuz speaking of him, you know, being kind of like, "Why aren't you angry?" And this this actually comes from a scene where um after the turning points, which we can talk about the turning point after, but um he's Well, do we want to talk about the turning point now actually?
0: Well, we and didn't really even into- talk about the I guess we did talk about the rape, but we don't need to spend I mean, too much time on it.
1: Yeah. What What is there to say? He's he wants to feel power. He feeds off of the thought of overpowering her, of possessing her body, of owning her. And yeah. he does what he does because he believes it's his right at that point, and he. In his brain, his messed up brain at that point, um, he thinks, literally, I warned her that this would happen. She (laughs) has been warned and I am tired of waiting. And at that point, her reaction is, okay, I knew it was coming. Here it is. I'm just going to have to live through it. Yeah. And I will because my body means nothing to me anyway.
0: Yeah, because, like, for her, she's also thinking, like, I kind of lived through it already with my husband. Exactly. And, um, yeah, we can talk about the husband, too, but, uh, he was just a disgusting piece of shit, and he was, he was into, like, dominating and, like, also, like, you know, I feel like he was a sadist. not in
1: consensual ways. Not in
0: consensual ways, yes. His partner would never, was never consensual. Um, that being said, she experienced that, and she's like, what could be worse, you know? Yeah. Um. And it kind of, it happens. He does rape her, and it happens more than once. Sad to say. Um, yeah. But Rachel's very disassociated from it. And that's just the extent of that. From- yeah.
1: It's also worth pointing out that he intrudes her life in various ways. You know, not just through the, the rape, but, you know, he makes sure that he intrudes upon her time. Yeah. You know, by scheduling appointments that don't
0: need to happen. And also he goes into her bedroom quite often.
1: Yes. Um, he, you know, I guess you could say intrudes upon uh, what she can wear in the sense that he's tired of seeing her in the same dresses, so he, you know, he tells her, go more. buy more dresses. I'm tired of seeing you in this black dress. Um, which we introduce the brown. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes, the round dress. Um,
1: we love a practical girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, All right, we can
0: talk about the turning point now if you wanted, yeah. unless you had another point. So basically the turning point is uh, Sebastian is feeling a sort of like connection with Rachel and he's kind of kind of scared by it and he doesn't like this dependency he also feels with her. Yeah. Um, so he kind of invites his friends from London and his friends, I'm saying that very loosely, um, yeah. they're not the nicest bunch and they're spoiled, rich like, basically trust one kids. And they're also, um, I think, a prostitute also there. She's just hanging about. No, 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 she wasn't a prostitute. Sorry, she no, was someone's yeah. wife. Yeah. Um, and she just uh, is with her, her uh, lover at the time. And that so happens to be one of his friends. So they're over, they're over, uh, they're having dinner, basically. And he instructs Rachel to plan the dinner, host the dinner, and also uh, attend. So she is expected to sit with his friends and just be a part of the the gathering. Um, And he doesn't stop his friends from asking her questions about her time in prison. And they're very, very uh, lewd questions and just very personal questions. And they get her whole backstory about her being in prison and what she went about and, like, the punishments she experienced in prison. And um, so basically what happens is one of his friends... Um, Mr. Sully. There you go. See, I don't remember his name. Sorry. Uh, Mr. Shelly basically is like to Sebastian. He's like, so is she yours? And Sebastian's like, "Uh, no. And then so Scully. Scully? Sully. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Scully, whatever the heck his name is, decides that he's going to go pursue Rachel because she's she's left for the night. He decides that it is his due to uh, also make use of her body, and he goes to try and rape her. But Sebastian kind of has a wake-up call, and he's like, "Uh, no, that's not happening, and goes and beats up Mr. Sully. So why is that the turning point? Why is this the turning point for everyone? He says, In prison,
1: they'd even robbed her her of the freedom of her own body. So had her husband. So had he. Which Mm -hmm. is an important thing to note.
0: And he's saying this all in his head right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: How long would she let it go on? For as long as he'd known her, she'd never surrendered to anything. Not really. No matter how callously he'd treated her. But this was different. This was worse. He was letting it happen. Mm -hmm. Watching it grow more beastly by the minute. Because he wasn't testing her anymore He was testing himself. And that's where um, you see what kind of mindset set that up for him. He was trying to prove to himself that he could still be exactly how his friends are. Because, you know, you said, like, they're kind of a, you know, fucked up bunch of people. Well, he... Includes himself in that fucked up bunch of people, you know? And yeah. he was trying to prove to himself that that was still very, very much him. Um, and then he says, much later, a little bit later on, he says, you know, because why, why did he stop it, you know? And he says, it's because I saw myself when I looked at Sully and the, and the others, heard my voice in their voices. What they did was despicable. And they were the mirror of me. Mm -hmm. I could see it clearly and it revolted me. I was glad when Sully drew the knife because that gave me permission to kill him. I wanted to kill him, wring his neck, stop his heart. You won't believe it, but I know that it was the vileness in myself I wanted to kill. And that's a turning point, clearly. That was the
0: turning point. You know,
1: and that's what I mean by... You could say it happens quickly, but to me, the realization is only the first step. And Mm -hmm. this for him was that, you know, it only took that one instance to make him realize just how wrong and how he wronged her. And it's extremely telling that he wants to kill Sully because deep down he wants to kill himself for what he did to for her. what he's done to her. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no. And I think it's really important the way the change happened in him. And I feel like it, it kind of was, yes, he invited those people there, you know, to have the party and also kind of remind himself that this is who he is, but it kind of backfired on him. And he's like, actually, I don't want to be this anymore. And we also need to recognize, we didn't mention he lived in London. And then once he got this house, he moved here just for a bit and he ended up staying there longer than he thought. And so he just, yeah, he just, his whole mindset kind of changed in terms of, like, Rachel, but also, like, he started seeing himself doing different things as well in the city versus the country. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, like you said, the the recognition of, like, his wrongs was the first step, and I don't know, I just felt like it was so interesting to me for him to see his his own self in Sully, and I liked how it was more so, like, an internal recognition and it Hmm. wasn't like voiced until later on but like in his head he knew he had to change things and he knew he had to right the wrongs and he wanted her to be happy and he wanted like we never talked we didn't talk about this yet but like his little like his goals his two goals that he had wait wait i'm
1: not there yet
0: what else do you want to talk about
1: well hold on a minute they have this conversation right after it happens. Well, he's kind of down for a couple days, you know, he's got this wound and yeah. like he doesn't want anyone to treat it but her. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have this conversation in the bathroom, sitting on the bath. <laughs> <laughs> and he asks her about why is she not angry? He wants her to be angry at what he did, at him. At his own actions and she's not and he doesn't understand that and she has this moment when in her own head during that conversation she finds herself going down the path of trying to justify him what he did mm-hmm. and then she literally puts a stop to it and she says why am I trying to justify what he did Yeah, And I just think it's little moments like this that really changed the book for me. That really take it from something that's very surface level, very much of its time, very much like not trying to do anything to something that's actually much more complex than that. And actually, for me, tries to say something, tries to take what was the genre at the time and tries to insert in it change
0: Mm -hmm. and no I I agree with that and I feel like in this book I haven't read anything else by Patricia Gaffney but -hmm. I feel like in this book she really shines in her internal monologues or like the narration for these characters and there's so many things that are said in their heads that aren't said on page like to each other Mm -hmm. which I mean like I don't know I just loved it I just think the writing of this book was really well done and I actually really do want to read more books by her
1: yeah, and that bathroom scene ends with well not maybe not ends with, but you know, during that he asks her, Call me Sebastian. Yeah. Because up until that point he had been forcing her, more or less, to call him my lord and was taking a lot of pleasure out mm-hmm. of putting himself on a pedestal compared to her, you know, yeah. of being higher than her. And in that scene, he asks her, call me Sebastian, please. And at first, she won't do it. She finds it very hard to just let go of the title, let go of, of the power imbalance between them and actually call him Sebastian. And when she does, he's like, see, it's not that hard. When we call each other by our names, we actually become of the same level, you know. I am not above you. You're not below me.
0: Yeah, and, I, and for him, and he also said like it got rid of a lot of barriers between yes. them. And then she's like, in her head, she's like, not the ones that we can't surpass, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I felt like that was really important because, like you mentioned, him being called my lord, he literally found sexual pleasure from that. Exactly, and he just yearns to finally be on like equal grounding with her, and. With all that you know him cementing in call me my Lord," he's kind of caused this like, like you said, her inability to just recognize him as Sebastian first,
1: yeah, which brings us to what you wanted to talk about, <laughs> which is his two goals, yes uh, his two, his two goals. immediate goals uh, <laughs> in regards to her. do you
0: want to say what they are? Uh, yeah. During their times, uh, you know, sexually, she is unable to release. Come, you know, to reach pleasure, to come, to <laughs> yeah. orgasm, whatever you want to call She can feel pleasure. It. She doesn't. She just can't reach. She, you yeah, know, she the doesn't. Ending,
1: the grand Yeah, she's finale. more so
0: just like dos- disassociated from everything. Yeah, yeah. She's just like, you know. Anyways, so he recognizes that, and he realizes that she's never was able to come before. She was never. She never had an orgasm before. So his two goals. I kind of, maybe three, but let's go with two. He wants her to laugh because he's never heard her laugh. And the second, he wants her to be able to orgasm. And he also ultimately just wants her to be happy and like find peace. But uh, yeah, those are some great goals to have.
1: They are. And while I think it's very easy to just overlook them as corny, I actually think it's much deeper than that, especially when you really analyze Uh, Rachel as a character because Rachel as we said before has had no agency over her body for the better part of 10 years and she sees herself as separate from it and so to me for him to want to see her experience pleasure in that way to be able to reach that peak of trust because it is, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be able to make yourself vulnerable and trust the person that you're with to take you there and trust your own body that it will take you there. You know, it, yeah. it demands that you are reconnected with your body, that you are in the, the, the present, the, the moment, mm-hmm. uh, anchored to yourself. And so for me, for him to have that goal is actually very important. It's yeah. very important that she be able to reach that because it means that she's she's doing the she's she's on that journey to reconnecting with herself fully mm-hmm. and re retaking her own agency and control over her own body in that way. Yeah.
0: And I also feel like it's important to note that it's also two selfless goals on Sebastian's part. Um, from him being such a selfish well, man. Well, he says it's beginning. very selfish, though. So he says, like, I just,
1: I actually want to see her smile. You know, like, he... I mean, yes, it's selfless, but I also but, feel like know.
0: ultimately his goal is her happiness. Yeah, yeah, of course. He obviously wants to be a part of her happiness, but he just ultimately wants to see her, like you said, trust herself and trust others, at least.
1: It's also interesting that um, their sexual acts involve some ba- uh, bondage and such because yeah it does kind of right the wrong that her husband did in a way i think mm-hmm. she i think without them having to discuss it he knows that she needs to be put back into that experience but in a positive way where she doesn't feel helpless and powerless um during the rape scene there is no bondage though uh lord knows he uh for sure threatened (laughs) um but he doesn't actually do it but during their sex scenes afterwards that's when he introduces that as though he knows that that's what she needs she needs to relive that in order to gain back her trust because mm-hmm. it's in that situation that she lost that trust yeah. to begin with. So again it's just little things like that. Like I, like was Patricia Gaffney reading on BDSM at the time? I don't know. I just find it fascinating that she she thought of that.
0: And I even feel like just going down to like their sex scenes as well like from the beginning I just feel like the, the change of tone in each sex scene is yes. important. Like because when, you know, it was rape, it was very... It was
1: pulling, it was, like, parting. The
0: the words used were very mechanical and robotic.
1: Yes, it was, yeah. like, very intrusive. Like, the yeah. language used was intrusive. Yeah,
0: and then it becomes more gentle and, like, dare I say, even sweet as he's trying to get her to, you know, reach that pinnacle. And then when she's able to orgasm, it becomes really sexy and, like, you know, like, yeah. present. Yeah. yeah. I love it. So, it was really great. Great written, like those scenes were like really well written.
1: So this brings us to the husband and the deep emotional and physical scarring that resulted from just one week. You know, it it doesn't take much, Uh, but you know this is an historical romance uh, novel, so you know we are in a time period where someone like Rachel, who was probably raised as quite innocent, um, she was in a well you know not wealthy family per se but you but know well off a well-off family um you know she went to a good school and everything so she she for sure was not uh aware that these sort of things exist that they you know and she probably wasn't aware uh of what a true caring or healthy at the very least marriage looks like no of course not and this man walks into her life um so you said you mentioned lydia she um met lydia at school Mm -hmm. um they became fast friends lydia was always talking about her father like he was the best of fathers and i say that with a facial expression we can talk about it later
0: on we will yeah we'll touch upon it once we reach the end of the yeah you
1: know so she had this sort of picture of who the father might be mm-hmm. um through the eyes of lydia who was very much like you know painting him with glorious colors yeah and she meets the father and he gives her bad vibes he first. does he does. Um, but her mother, who is trying to get her married, um, you know, sees an opportunity and really pushes for Rachel to, you know, get involved with this man.
0: Listen, he is not much older. He's not that old. He is. No, in he was his... in his 30s. He was in his 30s and he was described as really attractive and like charismatic yeah. and like. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The reason why I uh, think I got confused at the, at the beginning, I think she meets him when she's 16, but they don't get married until she's 18. I think yeah. she's around him for that time. Yes. And at first he gives her bad vibes, but then they enter this courtship. And right away he becomes extremely charming. He says all the right things. Um, he totally wins over her parents. And she she thinks, well... Maybe my original uh, impression was wrong. Maybe I just, you know, I don't know. Maybe I was just wrong. You -hmm. know, I guess he's a great guy. And, you know, Lydia sings his praises. So she must be right. You know, he's their father. Yeah. So they get married. And obviously, you know, this is a clear pattern that we know at this point, uh, the pattern of the abuser turns extremely charming and then the second that he's got you in his clutches or the second that they have you in their clutches it turns horribly horribly wrong and it does um this man like we said he's into he's a sadist he is he's into humiliating her he's into just completely taking away her control but obviously like we said not in a consensual or discussed manner (laughs) yeah she was thrust into that world uh she didn't know anything about it she exactly and i highly
0: doubt she knew anything about sex either i don't think her exactly she
1: probably didn't know it wasn't normal
0: yes at the time exactly
1: Uh, You know, she she was probably told, well, sex is very uncomfortable you're going to hate it. And she she was very uncomfortable and she hated it. So she probably thought, like, okay, well, fine. Exactly.
0: They were supposed to leave for their honeymoon, I believe. And then cut to, like, people finding her with her dead husband full of blood all over her. And it is presumed that she killed her husband.
1: And obviously it takes her a long time in the book to actually open up about this to Sebastian, but not Mm -hmm. just to Sebastian, to us as well as readers. You know, we don't know the full truth for a very long time. Um, And when she finally does open up to him, she has a sentence which I find very interesting. She says... Uh, she's talking to him, you know, telling him what happened, blah, blah, blah. And she says, he was all she had, even though he'd abused her, he, he'd abused that power more times than either of them could count. He supposed it was a measure of her aloneness that he was still the one in, uh, in whom she would confided. Sorry, I said it was her. It was him. He's thinking that. Isn't
0: that so freaking sad? <laughs> It is so sad and like of course like the situation made it so that he was her only confidant and I also feel like for her she also was moved to tears when he automatically was like yeah so then who did it? It wasn't you because no one had that certainty. No one believed in her that much that she didn't kill this person and I feel like yeah, that's just that's so tragic because looking at Rachel and who she was at eighteen, I like obviously I don't think she was obviously capable of murder. No one thought so, but yet automatically they believed she was capable of murder and they deemed her a murderer. And then yeah, her future was taken from her.
1: Yeah, and two aspects of of the complexity of her psych- psychological uh, the, the psychological place where she's at at that point is a she starts wondering. And even still, you know, when she's talking to Sebastian, even still, she wonders if she is in part to blame for, quote unquote, and that's how she puts it, selling herself to that man, that she should have listened to her instincts and she should have walked away when, you know, she felt that he was a little iffy. But she didn't, and maybe she should blame herself. And again, I mean, this is, we are all recognizing this as, you know, patterns that victims go through of being like, maybe I should have done this differently. Maybe I should have done that. Maybe I shouldn't have worn that. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Exactly. Et cetera. The other interesting thing here um, that says a lot about where she's at mentally, in certain instances, when she thinks about the murder she sometimes wonders if she actually might have done it and that's so important because she and again this is you know victims did I like it did I did I invite this D- did, did I enjoy it maybe I enjoyed it maybe it wasn't rape or maybe it wasn't abuse or maybe it wasn't you start, your 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 brain starts spiraling like that. I mm-hmm. think it's a coping mechanism at the end of the day. But the fact that she thinks about the murder and she thinks,
0: maybe I did do it. Maybe I'm crazy and I forgot that I didn't do it, but I did no, do it. No, but it's also, um, I think that we should also talk about, like, there's so many people that are convicted these days that are kind of like, forced to believe a lie and like once they're told the lie so many times over and over and over they start to believe it and also kind of in their head they kind of take it upon themselves and they believe that they are you know guilty of that crime so I feel like in that case Rachel was told over and over and over again that she did indeed kill her husband and maybe a part of her kind of believed that lie
1: yeah and in that moment or at that part of the book Sebastian actually becomes exactly who she needs to have in her life because he hears her say all these things and he doesn't let her believe them yeah he becomes that person that whenever she has thoughts like that of maybe I'm to blame maybe I sold myself sold myself uh, maybe I did murder him whatever he continuously tells her no you didn't you are worthy yeah. No, you're not going to let this control your life. You are worth it. You are worth your own happiness. Do not be. Do not fear being happy. Do not fear this. And I think it becomes so fucking important because in those instances, Sebastian is not actually a romantic hero. He becomes a friend, yes. and that's so fucking important, especially for a character like him, especially after what he fucking did. Um, to show that he's able to be present for her, even when it doesn't involve uh romantic feelings, uh, you know, any sort of um end yeah. for him. Like he, or he's also not yeah, like to, an
0: exchange. Like he's yeah, not getting yeah, yeah. anything. Like he's from purely being her just
1: friend. being there for her yes. and not letting those that tiny little voice in her head get to her. You know, yeah. he's being the other voice that's saying to her. You are fucking worth it. I don't want to hear you say stuff like that. You know it's bullshit and I'm going to make you believe it because it's true.
0: No, and like from there on, like then on, their relationship starts to grow into something else and, you know, sex gets reintroduced and she still can't, you know, reach that pinnacle. She still can't orgasm. Um, and it's like not even a trusting at that point because I think she also does say that she does trust him. Mm-hmm. I said does a million times, but, um, Yeah, at that point, she trusts him, but she still can't reach that. I have
1: two little quotes, uh, because you just mentioned trust. Yeah. Um, So, first off, Sebastian realizes the power, for lack of a better word, of gentleness for Mm -hmm. Rachel. He says... It had taken him an unconscionably long time to figure out that it was gentleness that devastated Rachel, not rootlessness. Because, yeah, you know, for someone who has never been shown gentleness, or at least not in a very long time, she's used to being used. She's used yeah. to being overpowered. She's and used to being... And taken advantage of. And yes. just
0: used as, like, She's not used
1: to kindness. Exactly. Yes. And, and that scares her and, and that's part of why she won't let herself be happy because she realizes there's there's a lot more to lose when you let yourself be happy.
0: Than and if you, you when you continue. have good things in your life, it's yes. just she fears that being taken from her. Because that's yeah. also not meant, like, we can't forget, she's also still, she's kind of like in the parole process. She still has to go visit the, uh, the sheriff and the constable as well every week. So she still doesn't feel the freeness that she thought she would have felt.
1: And as far as trust, he says it came to him that he'd been wrong all along about what he really wanted from Rachel. Power, he'd thought. The ability to control her. But that wasn't it at all. What he wanted was trust. And the thing she'd done, she'd just done told him he finally had it. This is when she's, you know, finally, she's, 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 Tells the whole truth because it it does take a couple encounters, if you will, for her to actually reveal the whole thing. You know, she does it bits by bits. Um, And then he, it says, he presses his lips to her shoulder blade. Thank you, he whispered. Conscious of the inadequacy of of the words. He thanks her for trusting him because he knows just how much
0: that means. And how much it took out of her, too, yes. to put that trust in someone else, to put that belief in
1: someone else. Yeah, he doesn't take else. it for
0: granted that she
1: trusts him, him, of all people, him, enough yeah. to open up. It and... didn't give her a choice, though. He's like, there's no one else but me. True, but you know, at that point she has her friend, you know, the, yeah. the lady friend. Yeah. She has other people in her life and yet she still comes back to him because he's he's offering her something that she needs and that yes. and I think in a in a way it must be kind of freeing to go to a man like that who has hurt you and then you can open up more um Honestly, because you think he's already hurt me. So whatever I say, he can't hurt me more. Exactly. I'm already there. You know, whereas going to her other friend would make her more vulnerable, probably. Because now she's got to open up to someone who could hurt her, who mm-hmm. has never hurt her. So I think that's part of why she keeps coming back to him. Obviously, she loves him as well. But, you know, yeah, I just I, I just think it's... Um, yeah. It's important how kindness and trust become, you know, so pivotal to yeah. their
0: relationship,
1: especially how it started. Yeah, and I
0: feel like trust is a new thing yeah. for her, and, like, she is afraid to put that trust in anyone else. And, of course, she has this bond with Sebastian, but even, like you said, Anne, who is the p- priest's wife, she does feel like a kinship with her, but she still fears her judgment she fears everyone else's judgment because at this point she's labeled as um basically a whore she's labeled as sebastian's mistress and Mm -hmm. that's living under his roof and literally everyone doesn't talk to her but Anne. um and yeah i just think it's just it's a lot happening at once for rachel should we talk about mental health um
1: we've mentioned and you just did uh lydia Lydia is a, an incredibly troubled uh, person. She has gone yeah. through horrifying things that no child should grow up uh, yeah. experiencing.
0: And this is just a, a trigger warning I think we should also mention yeah. here as well. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, parental abuse and Incest, sexual...
1: pedophilia. Yeah.
0: yes. Yes. Um so her
1: amazing 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 father um was having sexual relationships with her from a young age and again there is research put in this book like on the actual mindset of of victims of abuse yeah. like this victims of incestuous relationships where they still love that person and they were made to love that person and to them what they have is special you know they are treated like no other and and they feel special for for having that connection with their parent and this is very much what happens with Lydia she having this relationship with her father obviously doesn't understand how wrong it is it's just what she knows but it's fracturing her mentally psychologically and she sees um rachel entering the same relationship with her father and that creates a lot of jealousy for lydia Mm -hmm. because now her special relationship with her father she doesn't have it anymore no you know when she was saying my father is amazing i have the best father in the world she truly believed that yeah it wasn't like a lie she truly believed she felt special
0: no i was just going to say and also i think we should mention but i feel like we talk about it lydia herself doesn't have any comparison to what yeah. a father like relationship should be she Obviously, probably doesn't talk about you know sex with her father, with her friends, because obviously that like, you know sex is still taboo, and also just like she maybe she thinks in her head it's normal. Maybe that's just how relationships are. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just feel like her character, yes, she was very malicious and you know, hateful towards Rachel as we got to experience her ten years later. Um, but I think that speaks to her own mental break and like what she's been through as a woman and as a child. um. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling. So
1: she is the one who killed her father.
0: Yes, in a fit um, of rage and jealousy.
1: Yeah. And she is not getting any better with no. years. She is, in fact, becoming more and more fractured. She's not well. And I think it'd be easy to just see her as insane or whatever. Yeah. But I actually think the book makes, you know, works towards making you understand where she comes from. And obviously Rachel understands that as well. Um this is just someone who is distressed, who is in distress, who has been living her whole life in distress. Yeah. And you can't blame them, you know? At the end of the day, I don't think Rachel blames her for sending No, and her I think it's prison. really
0: important that no one else blamed her either. Even her aunt that was taking care of her. And even the judge and even the pastor and everyone else was like, poor child. Poor girl that she's been through all of this. Instead of saying she tempted her father. It's more so like he is a vile, despicable creature to put that on her, his daughter, and yeah, I just like it's just heartbreaking that a, a person can go through that. I know she's a book character, but yeah. there's so many instances where yeah. this is the truth and this is reality this is real for a lot of stuff. people.
1: Yeah, and so I actually commend the author here for how she treats mental health, um, because God knows the discussion around mental health and and mental illnesses has really progressed in the past couple years but back in 95 I mean when I was young like it wasn't something we we talked about no and we would have said just like oh yeah she's insane whatever you know she's not worth it or whatnot Um, so for this to be written in 95 with such sensitivity towards what it actually means for those people or, or for actually truly putting yourself in those shoes and try to, trying to understand a character like that and what she must have gone through and why mm-hmm. she's doing the things that she's doing and she's not at all portrayed as just just insane for the sake of the plot you know there's no, a exactly. lot of depth to actually how she's written you don't know that for a while you know you you kind of wonder like what the fuck is yeah. wrong with this girl
0: you don't know it until like the very end
1: Yeah, and then you understand and like you said, the characters, the way that they react is actually very modern. (laughs) Not that 95 was not modern, but you know what I mean? Like, it's very current.
0: Yes, exactly. And, I mean, obviously this all comes out in a letter. Uh, The aunt wrote it before she died, but this was Rachel. She's basically back on trial, uh, and she was kind of going to be put into prison again until the truth came out about Lydia. And I think it's unfortunate that it had to come out in such a big room with so many people and while the pastor was asking for you know the judge to step a step out and let's talk about it I feel like it was important for Rachel to be cleared of any sort of crime that she could have committed but at the same time yeah. I think people needed to recognize as well as the readers what Lydia has gone through exactly
1: exactly oh I just wanted to mention also uh an important scene for Rachel is um at the end when she She just before her trial, yeah, she's put in prison again, which is traumatic for her. Obviously, you know, she's got just gotten out of prison. She's finally finding her freedom again, Uh, and she's changed a lot. And I think that's kind of uh, the bittersweet part of it is like she sees herself being put back in that situation, and now that she's experienced so much out of life in that short time. Uh, since she's been out of prison, she kind of can't imagine herself going back, but she's also resigned to go back. Yeah. Uh, but she knows it's going to be 10 times harder now because she's she's found that agency again. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, an important scene for me is when she's talking to the prison guard, the woman. Yes. And that woman is, you know trying to beat her down and she's already down power tripping power tripping all over the place she's insulting her she's being awful like you know a guard prison a prison guard would be or was you know according to rachel's own experience and rachel actually fights back you know she confronts that that uh guard and she tells her you're taking pleasure Out of kicking someone who's already down, and how does that make you any different than the people that are right here that you're supposed to be guarding? Mm -hmm. How how does that now make you any worse?
0: Yeah, no, exactly. And I love that she had that moment where she did like get in her face and was like, "What makes you better? And how dare you? You know, do this and this and this." And I love that she actually questioned. The purpose of the warden. And I liked that moment. Of course, like, you know, nothing happened. She wasn't it like, you know, yeah, a hurt yeah. and anything. And I was really grateful for that. But I think for her, for past Rachel, 18-year-old Rachel up until 28-year-old Rachel, she needed that moment. She needed to revisit. Exactly. She needed that to, moment. like, confront and do things that she, hopefully, I think she probably wanted to do at that time. But she was so broken down. And she was finally able to fight her, that demon in a way she healed
1: herself in other words through that you know she did what she always wanted to do but was never able to do because she had just like you know left the premises of her own body exactly exactly (laughs) um which brings us to what i think is actually the theme of this book okay and i think it's the possibility of change Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or for change Obviously here it's taken to the extreme because you have this hero who is messed up, fucked up, does terrible things, and then he changes. He is capable of changing. This is important because um, for Rachel, she says that the one thing that she acquired in prison was she lost the belief that change is possible. Yeah. She lost that belief. And so the whole story is about her re-realizing that that's a possibility, that everyone's capable of changing, that she can change, that Sebastian can change, that we are all capable of changing. There is no, as long as you realize that what you have been doing is wrong and mm-hmm. you want to change and you continuously put in the effort to change and do better, yeah, then the possibility of change is always possible. And obviously, you know, Sebastian, like I said, he's just the embodiment of that, you know, in a quite intense, extreme way. But, yeah. you know, for the sake of book. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I actually, so this is why, to me, it's so worth talking about. Because I think it's a an important message. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to talk briefly about... Why rape is so present in romance? Why rape and the threat of rape are so present in romance, uh, especially back then, but even now, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like completely, you know disappeared. Um, and rape fantasies. So I did a little bit of research.
0: Okay, you miss researcher.
1: <laughs> and.
0: Oh, wait, wait, wait. You came with papers and you print these I out. Do, what I the do. hell, yeah, oh yeah, god yeah, I'm
1: prepared. Listeners,
0: she came with a printed out article.
1: <laughs> well, because I found an article um, called Women's Erotic Rape Fantasies uh, An Evaluation of Theory and Research by Joseph oh. W. Critelli and Jenny M. Bivona. And I actually started reading this just out of curiosity after reading this book. I was like, yeah, why is rape, such a huge presence in romance. Has anyone done any research on that? Yeah. And what this article tells us essentially is that there hasn't been a whole lot of research and the reason is, it's because it is a taboo subject. And mm-hmm. for that reason, they do not want to research this. But and and they point out something that I find very important. They say that um, to not study an area Um, That we find difficult to understand or um, uncomfortable is actually to reinforce that belief in those people that they are wrong, that there's something wrong with them that Mm -hmm. and especially in this case that there is something wrong with female sexuality and your own fantasies as a woman. That's what that reinforces, because as long as it's not research, then you think, well, maybe I'm alone or I'm just wrong or I shouldn't talk about this, blah, blah, blah. And this is a tangent, but this is exactly why I think it's actually important to talk about taboo subjects, to talk about, to leave in scenes that may make readers uncomfortable just because a book is old you shouldn't take it out because it actually makes for important (laughs) conversations (laughs) (laughs) yes but it makes for important conversations that we can then have if we take those out then how can we ever acknowledge how we have grown as a genre
0: no I, I totally agree with that and I feel like having these scenes these taboo like scenes are important and I also feel like we I don't know where I'm going with this, but I also feel like there's some scenes... Yes, I do feel like some rape scenes or some scenes of assault are kept in there for entertainment value instead of kind of showing where, like, you know, where the story could go or, like, the growth from that. Um, and those sometimes I find are really problematic. Um, I think... I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. But I do agree that keeping these scenes in are is important if they will further this character growth, I would say.
1: Yeah. So I was reading this article, right? Not really knowing where it was going. Yeah. I was just interested to see what are the theories. Because obviously, again, it's all theories because nothing has been researched no research. enough. Um, but one... Uh, theory which I was like I wasn't looking for this but it's called Adversary Transformation and it Mm -hmm. talks about romance novels about the the presence of rape in romance novels and they say in essence both romance novels and rape fantasies are created works of fiction important (laughs) rape fantasies are fictional in your head women do not want this in their real life Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Sexual fantasies are self-generated erotic stories often intentionally initiated to provide enjoyment and sexual arousal. Romance novels are structured erotic fantasies that individuals intentionally expose themselves to, typically for emotional satisfaction and sexual arousal. In a rape fantasy, women create an imaginary scenario and they participate in the fantasy through the rape experience of their self character in a romance novel that includes rape women identify with the lead female character and vicariously experience her rape why you may ask yeah well the theory thinks that uh in male fiction the challenge takes okay so uh, essentially they're now going into how uh, men do it through fiction and how Women do it through fiction and the differences. So okay. in male fiction, the challenge takes the form of a violent confrontation with an evil adversary. You know, the knight kills the dragon. Mm-hmm. Adversary transformation. In romance novels, there is often a violent confrontation with a dominant, sexually aggressive adversary who appears to be evil. The challenge for the heroine is to conquer his heart, seduce him into falling in love with her have him voluntarily make a lifetime commitment to her and transform his apparent evil and cruelty into something more socially acceptable without diminishing his masculinity. This is transformation. This is transformative work. It's taking something that's traumatic, that's Mm -hmm. a part of every woman's life, You know, you go out there, and as a woman, at least as a woman of my own age, I don't know about you, Seth. No, yeah. I go out there, and I know that rape is a possibility. The possibility of rape follows us everywhere we go sometimes unconsciously sometimes no, it's, not it's
0: honestly mind-boggling like just for an example um not even in the nighttime but yes going on walks in the nighttime we can't do that like, clearly I, doesn't happen it doesn't happen but there's a trail right by my house um that you know my parents told me don't walk there because you know there's like cases where women were raped there and just the idea that i can't even walk on a trail in the middle of the day because of fear of rape is yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So what I'm getting from this is because we live with this omnipresent threat of rape in yeah. our lives as women, but, you know, as anyone who's basically not a white male, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yes. We need to find ways to cope with that. We need to find ways to gain control over that. And I yeah. think transformative work where you take that evil threatening possibility of rape and you actually turn it into what I can actually control this happening to me because it's fake it's happening to a character she is experiencing it I can distance myself but I can also empathize and I can deal with my own fears through this that's how I see it anyway it's like it's 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 just trying to cope with something and making it ours. You know, finding ways to make it ours because it's not going to happen in our world. You know, we live in a patriarchy. Yeah. It's not it's not going to happen. I don't think it's going to change.
0: No, sadly, I think you're right. Um, and I feel like that article is really important. We're going to include it in the description of the episode just oh, if yeah, you want to check it idea. out. Um, but honestly, yes. I, on, I wish there was more research on this topic, but sadly there isn't. And I feel like this article is important, and thanks for sharing that.
1: Yeah, and they make it very, very clear. Again, there are multiple theories in there, so if you're interested, you can go and see what, you know, theorists have put out there as mm-hmm. far as, like, what they think is the reason behind it. This is the one that I personally you know, aligns the most with why, what I see in myself and whatever. Yeah. Um, But they make it very clear that this is not a wish fulfillment fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why people often misunderstand why it exists. Yeah. No, it doesn't mean, Oh, I'm, I'm fantasizing about this. Therefore I want this in my real life. It is not wish, wish fulfillment. It's, something else and we do not know what it is because like you said it has not been researched nearly enough yeah. did you have anything else you wanted to say about um to have and to hold
0: um I mean like I just had like small points I don't know if you want to find a way to fit it sure. in because I feel like now sure. it no longer relates to uh, the yeah, discussion um, so basically I just wanted to talk about like the perception of women and their options during this time. Cause I feel like we always yes. talk about like, you know, their limited ability to have control over their life. But in this case, it's more so for Rachel. She didn't have many options at that time. You know, charged with murder. She came out of prison 10 years later and she was kind of expected to find a job and find a house. But at the same time... I'm happy you bring this up because
1: this is actually very important.
0: Yeah, and at the same time, because she's a convicted criminal, no one wants to hire her as a maid or, like, a housekeeper or anything like that. And because she's a woman, her options are very limited. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the case would have been the same, obviously, if she was a man. Because as a man, you can work on the docks, you can work at work at the rookery at the pub or literally anywhere else that she as a woman, because she has a vagina, was not able to work there because maybe fear of rape as well. Um yeah, so anyways, what did you want to talk about that? I just found that really disgusting well, to me.
1: Because it's not unlike today. It's still extremely hard for people who come out of prison to get back on their feet. There are programs there are programs in place to try to help them, to try to find them a job but the thing is if the system around you meaning the people around you your friends the people you are in, in contact with um, your financial situation aren't different yeah those people are likely to just get back into it because they're trying to survive
0: and there's no it's options available
1: yeah it's a pattern that's that's there because something is lacking and we are not offering any help as far as helping them where that that need is. Yeah. Um. And so I loved that Rachel comes out of prison and the, and, and she says she she's trying to look for work, but nobody wants her. Mm-hmm. There's a real there's real prejudices
0: with no and like towards those those people. Exactly. And she even tried getting a job as uh, keeping someone's finances. But even that option wasn't available to her. She had no option. She
1: could have done the job, which is why, you know, she was good at doing it for Sebastian, but they wouldn't hire her.
0: And also, I think we should mention her, obviously, her jury, her judge, all of them were males. And they still weren't able to understand that she was unable to find work there questioning why she was living in a barn they're questioning why like she claimed she had money but she didn't she w- they didn't find it on her person and that was because it was stolen from her and it was money she earned in prison she was
1: not allowed a fair trial because she, she was, was a woman
0: yes yes that is what i was getting at um, and
1: so, yeah and sebastian for all his mistakes during that first chapter he does point out so what what is she guilty of mm. here She's guilty of not having a home because she has no money and it was stolen from her. Yeah. She's guilty of living in the streets because she she can't afford living elsewhere. Why is yeah. the guilt on her? Why shouldn't the guilt be on us? We failed her. Yeah. We are the ones failing these people. Yeah. what What do you expect them to do?
0: Yeah. They're, like, honestly, she had zero options. And if Sebastian come around and offer her um, to be that, his housekeeper, uh, she his would mistress. probably be back in prison. <laughs> well, I mean, she would. That's where they were sending her. Yeah.
1: They were just like, oh, well, um, we don't really know what to do with your case, so
0: we're just going to throw you back into prison yeah. if you don't mind. You know? What the hell? Yeah, clearly they didn't have, like, you know, housing for people trying to get on their feet back then. Um, The only place to put her was the prison, so.
1: Also, yeah, we didn't really talk about Sebastian and his own relationship with his family. Um, Right, yeah. I I briefly mentioned how he just, he doesn't have a purpose. And we've been reading a lot of books lately. I I also love that his name is Sebastian. Um, (laughs) Yeah. What is up with Sebastians? Like, why are they always cruel at first?
0: I don't know. I don't. I mean, it's a very beautiful name. I mean, Sebastian. It it's a very
1: regal name. Yes. Um, anyways, um, all this to say, we've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast before how oftentimes people that don't have purpose in life and that do not have Connections, meaningful connections in their lives go down a very dark path. Yep. There's nothing that ties them to wanting to move forward and wanting to move in a good direction. Therefore, they often turn bad. Yeah. This is what happened with Sebastian here.
0: Yeah, and he has no, like moral compass or some sort of rule book to follow his own mother was awful his sister equally awful his father as well you know awful they were not good parents they didn't raise their children well and sebastian's kind of like thrust into this world and like it doesn't obviously excuse his actions but he's thrust into a world trying to figure out where he fits in it and like also just you know just being present and yeah, we see a little glimpse of his mother and like his father as he's dying. But I mean, you, you, you feel the coldness there. I think it's written in a way coldness where like, you feel. The right word. Yeah. You feel how horrible his upbringing might have been.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we said how seeing Sully kind of reflected back, back to him his own, you know, vileness. Similarly, when he goes back to his his mother and his sister, when his father has just died, he's he's seeing that coldness, like you said, reflected back to him. But before, it never bothered him because yeah. he had no care in the world. He was that coldness, but now yeah. he's and sorry to be corny about it, but he's felt Rachel's warmness, <laughs> warmth, warmth, um, and. He's seeing them, and he's seeing how empty and selfish they are yep. as people. He asks them something like, "What do you?" I'm 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 mad that I don't remember exactly what he asks them, but something like, "What do you do to be happy?" or something like that. Yeah. And or what do you do for? Ah, it really bothers me. I don't remember the exact like wording. For of leisure, it, but... I
0: think it was something like. He was asking them, like, what do they do in their free time, basically. To, to
1: feel fulfilled or something yeah. like that. Yes,
0: to feel fulfilled, that was and it. And
1: neither of them has an answer. They're like, what What are you talking about? Like, his yeah. mom is just like, oh, well, I'm just writing my letters to my lovers, but like, whatever, it's like, empty as hell. Like, it's cold. Like, it's not, it's not love. Yeah. In, like, love. And then her sis- his sister looks at him like he's insane. And she's like, what happened to you? And he's like, you guys have no idea that there's more to life.
0: I know. You know,
1: you, life has sucked it out of you. Like, you are empty, and you have no, you feel no fulfillment of any sort in your life, and you're yeah. unhappy as a result, and I don't want
0: that. And I love that he recognized that. Yeah. And I think it's also, uh, maybe we should also mention, before he went to see his dad dying, he mm-hmm. kind of had a fight with Rachel, And the fight was more so um, that's when she realized that the letter she received that she no longer had to visit the sheriff and the constable um, was was a farce. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it was fake. And so she's kind of being arrested again because uh, she wasn't fulfilling her uh, parole requirements. And so um, the pastor is like, why don't you just marry Rachel It would save her a lot of uh, issues here? And he kind of laughs that off in her face and He's not really, like, thinking about how her feelings could be affected by that. They had a fight, and she's like, I'm going to leave you. I'm not staying here. And so he goes, and then he comes back to her being gone. But during that time, he recognizes that he wants her in his life as his wife. And yeah. he wants that warmth uh, every day. He wants her to be there every day. Um, yeah. How did you feel about the, the conclusion to their relationship? Well, that we see on page. How did you feel about the way they ended for us?
1: Well, I mean, first off, the fact that he laughs it off, I like as a moment because yeah. the work isn't done. You know, the work isn't yeah. over. He yeah. still has moments where you think, were you thinking about that other person's feelings or are you just thinking about yourself? Of yourself, yeah. Um, so I like that scene. Um, now, for the conclusion i i like how it ended um i i felt like it was a very well-rounded story and yeah by the end you know again the book doesn't uh you know end as if okay well it's over and they're happily ever after now and he's a perfect gentleman and will forever be yeah But they end in a place where I think they have reached an understanding of each other that's deeper than anyone else has ever understood either of them.
0: Yeah. And I love during her trial when he's like, we're getting married. It's happening. Like, we're getting married soon. That's why she was, like, seen somewhere else. Um, but we're getting married, and Rachel's like, "No, we're no. not. I'm not marrying you. Don't lie for me. I'm not lying for you. We're not getting married." Yeah. And I love that that scene happened because for yeah. Rachel, she's like, "It's not happening because he laughed it off," and he's like, "It is happening because I want it to." And I liked at they had their quiet moment in the end where he's like, "I actually do want to marry you, and I want to make you my wife." And I just loved that moment. I just felt like, honestly where they were at the beginning of the book is nowhere close to where they ended up at the end of the story. And no. it's just the beginning for them. There's so much more for them to like go through and experience as a couple that I like that it ended at a point where it's like, okay, this is where we're at now, but you know, we still have a bright future ahead. And I like that.
1: Yeah. And the importance of the contrast between her two marriages, you know, she entered Ooh. the first marriage. It was all deceit, manipulation, uh, etc and here they start their engagement or enter their marriage uh, debating with each other you know yes. they're kind of uh, seeing what's your limit what's my limit where are you coming from where I'm, I'm coming from do we understand each other yeah. I'm not sure I'm not entering this marriage with you until you know we are on the same page yeah. on this and this and that and I think that that's like very important you know because she's Rachel has fully regained com- control over her life so she's entering this wedding now uh, this marriage now on honest like you know it's it's honest it's it's open it's uh it's not what the first one was
0: exactly and I feel like here it's not it's more transparent I would say and it's exactly. more That's so like for yeah, and it's more so they know each other down to the mm. marrow of their bone. They know each other. And that, like you said, it's just not at all like what our first marriage was like.
1: Did you have anything else on your list?
0: No, just to say that I really enjoyed reading the story, and I actually really enjoyed talking about it as well. I was kind of worried that we would get canceled. I hope we're not canceled, but I do think it was a good discussion. and
1: I hope we uh, discussed it in a nuanced matter that, you know, shows that we obviously do not agree with uh, the hero's actions in the Mm -hmm. beginning, Um, but it is a book at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I can respect the... I can respect a book that uh, wants to put change as, you know, the driving force behind it. You know, that wants to show change as a powerful tool.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. For people. And, like, I honestly sincerely hope us saying... That uh, we believe in his growth as a character. does. Like, we yeah. are not condoning his actions. No. We just... Uh, and neither is he, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and neither is Rachel. Neither is the author yeah. Patricia. No one is condoning his actions and like kind of letting it slide by. But I do think his... I believed in his growth as a character. I believed in it, and I. I commend the way the author handled it. So...
1: I hope that if you've made it this far, you enjoyed our discussion. Yes. Um, If you have anything you would like to add, uh, that you would like to comment on something that we've said, uh, you can find us online uh, on Instagram. We are Romance in the Monsters Podcast. On Twitter, it's the Pod. On Gmail, it's Romance in the Monsters Podcast at gmail.com tiktok is Women's and the monsters pod and obviously we are also on youtube um if you prefer that format uh you can just search the name of our podcast and you should be able to find us feel free to leave us a little uh subscribe while you're there <laughs> um
0: and if you're looking for me specifically i am on both twitter and instagram at foes and lovers Okay, and I, Saf, you can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at woes.
1: And that's it. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye. Bye.